Well, what a wonderful truth where sin abounds. There does grace superabound, so much more abound. It's no excuse for sin. Paul goes on to argue that in Romans chapter 6. But what a comfort to sinners such as you and I. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more, so much more, superabounding. And there it is in this wonderful letter we've been looking at for quite a while now. Well, let me read from Romans chapter 11. I'll start at verse 1 because it uh, begins a quite a powerful argument that Paul is making about the nation of Israel. And we'll make applications to uh, Israel, but also mainly to ourselves uh, in living day by day. But the verses we're focusing on ourselves tonight, in particular, verses 11 through to 14, we're making pretty rapid progress now through this letter. But Romans 1 verse, sorry, Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant, a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And then the verses we'll consider this evening. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, insomuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Well, Romans chapter 11 opens with a question. Has God rejected his people 
And uh, the answer is emphatic. No, by no means. They are the ones, remember, who have rejected him. The end of Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, those quotations from the Old Testament where God the Father is speaking all day long. I have held out my arms to a contrary and a disobedient people. Uh, No, God has not rejected his people Israel. They rather have rejected him. Paul then brings up the point. God has not rejected Israel because here I am. I'm a Jew and I'm a believer. And in the days of Elijah, remember those 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And so, too, he says in verse five, as it was in the days of Elijah, so, too, at the present time, 60 AD, as Paul is writing, uh, there is a remnant chosen by grace, chosen, God's choosing, by grace, not on merit. Today, 60 AD, there is a remnant, remember, of Jews chosen by grace and that great emphasis and if it's by grace it's not works otherwise grace would not be grace and so it is today 2021 is now the year almost 2,000 years later still there is a remnant of Jews chosen by grace verses 7 through to 10 we looked at last time give something of uh, a summary if you seek Self-righteousness, you're going to fail. And uh, But for those who receive the grace of God, what a treasure that is. This is great gain. Uh, but if you seek self-righteousness, uh, seek to promote yourself as righteous and good enough for God, you are going to fail. Uh, and when it comes to the gospel, if you're seeking self-righteousness, there's a stupor. A miasma, as if you're in a dream, you're insensitive and insensible to every gospel call. And uh, the word is very clear here. Uh, Those who seek self-righteousness, they will not see and they will not hear. They, They refuse. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, they stumble over the wonder of the gospel. So that's where we got to. Uh, so far now we come to this next section it opens again with another question concerning this stumbling of israel the nation of israel over the gospel of the lord jesus christ verse 11 so i ask them did they that's the jews stumble in order that they might fall here's the essence of the question Is their stumbling such that it's going to lead to a fall from which they will never, ever recover? Is the rejection of the Jew, by the Jews, of Jesus Christ, something final? Um, The word for stumble and the word for fall are two different Greek words. The word for stumble means to, to trip over. You might be walking along, you trip over something and you begin to stumble. You don't necessarily fall the whole way down. And now did the Jews stumble over Jesus Christ in order that they might fall in such a way they're never going to recover? And the word for fall, the Greek word for fall, pipto means to fall flat and to fall under judgment, to fall in such a way that you're not going to rise again. So here's the question Paul is posing 
in verse 11, did the nation of Israel, did the Jews stumble over the gospel in such a way that their fall is going to be final and they will never recover? And the answer again is one of those very emphatic answers uh, that Paul so often uses, by no means. And it's the same emphatic answer that comes in Romans 6 and verse 2 when the question is posed, since grace abounds, the more that sin abounds, grace more abounds. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound even more? By no means. Certainly not. And in chapter 11 and verse 1, I ask, as God rejected his people? By no means. Certainly not. And here in verse 11, I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Is their rejection of Jesus Christ final? By no means. In fact, he goes on to say this, rather, rather, there are two gracious purposes that will be achieved by the Jews stumbling over the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two gracious purposes. One, salvation to the world, including you and I. And secondly, so as to make Israel jealous. Here it is. So I asked if they stumble in order that they might fall. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. The Jews stumbling will mean life for the Gentiles. It will then provoke jealousy in the nation of Israel. Israel begins to observe. They, the Gentile world, have received that which we have been seeking now, this brings a jealousy uh, amongst the Jews. And uh, the word for jealous, parazelu, uh, means to burn with desire, to boil, to be earnestly wanting what somebody else has. The rejection of Jesus Christ by the Gentiles is a stumbling. By, by the Jews is a stumbling. It allows the Gentiles to come in and it provokes a jealousy amongst the Jews. If I just read a passage from the book of Acts that highlights both of those two things, the rejection by the Jews, bringing salvation to the Gentiles and causing a jealousy amongst the Jews. Here's one example. There are many, but here is Acts chapter 13. I'll start at verse 43 and here is Paul preaching in the synagogue and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them urged them to continue in the grace of God the next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, 
we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, here's a quotation from Isaiah 49. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Always God's plan and purpose. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, there again, the electing purposes of God, as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Who are those who eventually believe? Those who God has chosen, those who God has foreknown, those who God calls with that internal call. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is a Gentile region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul going first to the synagogues and speaking to the Jews now, some believed, some believed, and they invite Paul back the next Sunday to preach further and to tell them more of these things. But then a great crowd gather, such that the Jews are, are jealous, provoked to jealousy. And uh, this opens the door then for the Gentiles to begin to to flood in all oh, the gracious purposes of God. The stumbling of the Jews allows the Gentiles to come in. And the Jews seeing the Gentiles coming in provokes a jealousy amongst them. Verse 12. Now, Paul's going to make an argument now from the lesser to the greater. Uh, see what great effect there is by a small number of Jews on, on the Gentiles. What will happen if there's a great profusion of Jews who come to faith? If there's a blessing on the world through a small number of Jews, what will the blessing be like if a large number of Jews come to faith? That's verse 12 here. Now, if there, that's the Jews, trespass means riches for the world. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their, this is the Jews, Full inclusion mean. Paul is working up to something mighty that's going to come in this chapter. He's hinting at it here. And he mentions something, this little phrase, the full inclusion of the Jews. What a bl what blessing will that bring on the world? If a small number of Jews brings this measure of blessing to the Gentiles, imagine their full inclusion. What blessing will that bring to the world? If their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, that's the present day. It happened as the gospel age began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was prevalent there in 60 AD as Paul was preaching in Iconium and various places and writing this letter to Rome. And it's certainly true today that there are riches for the world through what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Uh, this Greek word, plutos, riches, abundance, fullness, 
a valuable bestowment has come upon us through the stumbling of the Gentiles. But then he thinks about the future, and this hasn't yet happened. We're still in the age where this hasn't yet happened. The second part of verse 12, how much more will there, remember he's speaking about the Jewish nation, there's no doubt about that. I hope you've been following the argument carefully. How much more will there, that's the Jews, full inclusion mean? What riches will flow from that? What greater blessings are going to overflow from the full inclusion of the Jews? Now, verses 13 and 14, as we draw to a conclusion, and I'll make two applications for us. Paul, in verses 13 and 14, speaks about his ministry. Let's look at those verses now. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, insomuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And here's what he has to say. I magnify my ministry. Now I want to pause there. Every one of you listening, if you're a Christian, you have a ministry. It's not just me as a minister. I happen to have this title, minister. I'm not, uh, it means servant, one who ministers. But we're all servants and every single Christian ministers. We all have gifts. I'm often thinking now about parents and uh, the, the, the mum at home with, with, with the children. You know, that's got to be one of the mightiest ministries ever given to anybody to be a mother in a home, to be a single mother, to be a single father, to be a mum and dad together, uh, bringing up young lives. Whose responsibility is it to teach children the Bible? Certainly not the church's responsibility. The primary responsibility for children rests with the parents. Don't fob it off onto Sunday school. Don't fob it off onto the youth fellowship. Don't fob it off onto kids club. Now, all those things are lovely and helpful. But the primary ministry for children is in the home with mum and dad. Uh, maybe you're working in, in a factory. That's your ministry. There's a group of workmates there. And you minister to them day in and day out. But the way you conduct yourself, the way you speak about the boss, uh, the way you are disciplined about coffee break. If it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. And then you're back to work. And the, the lunch hour is a lunch hour. It's not a lunch hour in 10 minutes. You clock in on time. You clock out. Uh, you're not always grumbling and moaning about this and that. Uh, you have a ministry that's very, very valuable. What a ministry. And I, I think along with Paul, Paul was a minister to the, the Gentiles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, don't think that he's anything special. Uh, he's appointed by the grace of God. God didn't look at Paul and think, well, he's worthy of being an apostle. Uh, he's a nothing. He's a sinner. He's the chief of sinners. He's a blasphemer. But God calls him and gives him a ministry. God has given you a ministry. And I want you and I to do what Paul did. I magnify my ministry. I make it big. This is important. I revel in the ministry God has given to me. But in Paul's situation, he's doing it for this. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. So I want to big up my ministry. I'm going to be full throttle about my ministry. If you're a mum, be full throttle about being a mum. 
in the home. If you're working in the factory, be full throttle with an eye on the Lord and ministering to those around about you. But Paul says, I'm full throttle. I magnify ministry, my ministry. Why? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. If they become jealous of what they see the Gentiles have, then more of them are going to be saved. So I big up my ministry. <clears throat> I am a Jew. I'm proud. To, I'm pleased to be a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. Uh, Abraham is my, my father, but I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And I see that through my ministry to the Gentiles, this stumbling of the Jews might come to an end. And there might be a fullness drawn in by making them jealous and envious of what the Gentiles actually have. Here's the argument in summary of verses 11 through to 14. Israel, the nation, stumbles over Jesus Christ and the gospel. The world thereby receives the gospel. Jews go around and Paul went around and those scattered by the persecution went around to Gentiles sharing the gospel, and there was a great in, in gathering. Third stage, the Jews become jealous of what they see. The Gentiles have what we've been seeking, and thus the nation of Israel is restored to God. Now, those last two things, first of all, the stumbling, second, the gathering in of the Jews, third, the, the Gentiles, third, the jealousy of the Jews, and then the full inclusion of the Jews. And that final stage, the nation of Israel being restored, will be provoked by the Jews becoming jealous. Four happens because of three. When will Israel return to her God? It will happen when Israel is jealous of what we as Christians have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, Paul bigs up his ministry in order that through the conversion of Gentiles, the Jews might become jealous and return to their God. Behold your God. Let me finish with some questions and a couple of applications. First question is this, does the Christian church that we have at St. Melons that's uh, scattered around the world, does the Christian church make Jews jealous? If they see a Christian church at worship and conducting a members meeting and gathering as people together, are they jealous of what they see? There's a question. And an application to us here. Let's bring it right up to date. Let's expand it. Let's not just think about the Jews. Here's another question. Do we, do I, do you make anyone envious or desirous of what we have and what we are? Does your life, does my life, do our lives provoke amongst the people we are living amongst uh, an envy that they might seek to have, a desire that they might have what we have. Let me tell you a little story. It happened just over uh, a week 
uh, go on. It, it fits here about jealousy, and it's the very term that this uh, this gentleman mentioned. When I first came to Cardiff to work for the Heath Evangelical Church in 1987, there was quite a vibrant group of uh, young people um, uh, around the age of sort of 16, 17, 18 year olds and really zealous for Christ. They were converted. They were all out for him. We went on retreats and camps and uh, there were study groups together. Uh, it, it was lovely. There's one of those young men. Uh, his name was was Craig. I don't need to give his full name. Doesn't doesn't matter. It's an illustration I'm making here. At the age of 25, a few years later, then when I was um, still at the Heath, this young man got disillusioned. He went through a tough time, circumstances. Maybe he was about 25, 26. He turned his back on Christ, and um, for 25 years, I've not heard from him. I had a phone call last Saturday afternoon, just eight days ago, and I answered the phone and a voice said, hi, it's Craig. And I recognized his voice. Why are you ringing me? I haven't heard from you for 25 years. No, he turned his back. He married an unbeliever and uh, he was living and working uh, in England. And um, I was amazed to hear from him. But anyway, to cut a long story short, um, his wife came to faith wonderfully, fairly recently. And he said, I became jealous. I became jealous. She's got what I used to have. And I began to seek again. Uh, he said, I began to troll on YouTube. He said, I've followed you from a distance for quite, quite a while. And uh, he watched some YouTube videos and began to, to think. And he said this, I've now come back to the things I should never, ever have left. But here's the point. He once used to walk with these things. He stumbled over them. His wife came to faith and he felt jealous and it brought him back. What God did for Craig, he's going to do for the nation of Israel. But I wonder about you and I. Do our lives make anybody jealous? Are they envious of what we have in Christ? And I wonder how should we evangelize? Uh, think about your non-Christian friends. Do you have any? I'm sure you have. You do. You do. Think about your family, the unconverted folks in your family. The most difficult place to witness is in the home. And uh, we ought to live good lives, lives that glorify God. It ought to provoke a question. What has brought about this change in you? What about your your workmates, those you work with day in and day out. So we all rub shoulders with a dark world and people in desperate need. Family, work colleagues, your neighbours. This is your parish. You're reaching people I could never reach. I reach people you could never reach. God has set us in certain places. He's set our boundary lines for us. And that we need to shine for him there. What do our family and our work colleagues and our neighbours see? Is it something that provokes an envy and a jealousy and a desire that they might have what we have? Oh, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We all 
have a ministry. God has placed us in places that we might live for him. Let me finish by reading this verse from Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. Here's how we should conduct ourselves. And it's quite countercultural. The world just isn't like this. And if you and I lived like this, it would provoke a question. Do all things, be a mother, drive a van, be a, a factory worker, uh, be a neighbor, be a family member, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's not my turn to stack the dishwasher. It's not my turn to take the bins out. It's his turn. I did it last week. Oh, just, just get on. Just, just do it. Serve. Be a minister where you are. Serve. Now, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, holding out the word of life. So my contention that we should live such good lives, it provokes the question, uh, what is it that's happened in your life? And how can I have the peace and the contentment that you have? And always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you to anyone who asks you. And I challenge us again, pray that prayer. Pray it tomorrow morning. God, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? Live the life, provoke the question, and take the opportunity when it comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grand, great, glorious plan of salvation. It takes twists and turns we could never figure out. We could never understand. And at the end of this chapter, Paul is going to be astonished. and He's going to break forth in a great doxology about your grace and your mercy and your ways are beyond finding out and how glorious uh, is your name and your ways. And we want to echo that and pray, Lord, you shapers and users to your glory in the settings where you have placed us, that our very lives, we will glory in our ministries, whatever they might be. And we're all ministers, each and every one of us. Help us to magnify our ministries, that through making others envious of what we have, uh, some might be saved. Help us in these good things. May there be church growth in depth of the knowledge of Christ and in numbers in these difficult days in which we are living. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.